I uh, want to start by continuing our um, sermon series on the book of Revelation, Last Days Now. The first part of Revelation, uh, the key to understanding all it all is that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of how things are going to go south. It's not a revelation of how those people that you suspected were bad are really going to get judged. Uh, it's a revelation of the goodness of the person of God. And revelation is punctuated by worship scene after worship scene. He is completely in control. He is unflustered by human events. And he is going to have victory in the end and create a brand new world that lasts forever. And we worship him for that. We're in the middle of then looking at the revival letters, the letters to the different churches that open up the book of Revelation. Then next, uh, next week we'll start into uh, the actual sequence about the end of times uh, in the um, section that we're calling uh, Trumpets and Scrolls. But uh, this morning, I want to pick up on our theme of revival letters because God is raising up through what he's revealing in the book of Revelation, an overcoming, victorious, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church. And the book of Revelation is more about the rise of the church than it is about the rise of evil. And, uh, but God speaks both encouragement and correction. And I believe that what uh, I'm talking about this morning, uncompromising, is maybe one of the most important teachings in Scripture if we truly want to be triumphant in the days that are ahead. Well, today's a big day in our nation, a national holiday, um, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, right? And uh, I'm torn, you know, because this is set up as uh, a showdown between the kid, you know, Patrick Mahomes, hot young new quarterback, and the GOAT. 47 years old, he's wheeling in on a wheelchair, but he's going to get up, Tom Brady. And as an old guy, I always got to root for the oldest player on, on the field. That, that they're just my, my people. Um, but as a Dolphins fan, even though he saw us coming and left New England, I just don't know if I can find it within myself to root for an arch rival who mocked my team for yay many decades. <laughs> so I'm not sure who I'm gonna root for. I just root for a close game and some good commercials and really good snacks. But, um, you know, who's gonna win this game? Some of it's gonna be about on-field play, but so much of it is gonna be about preparation. Because here's the theme of this game, but also the theme of, of the book of Revelation, is how we prepare in private is key to victory when it's game on. How we prepare in private is key to victory when it's game on. So it, uh, I noticed this about Tom Brady's preparation this week. So, uh, the insider reports, Tom Brady's family left him home alone so he could prepare for the Super Bowl without distraction. I wish I just hadn't done that gesture, but it's out there, it's too late. Um, so Giselle and the kids packed up and left him because he needs to give extra focus to prepare for the game. Sometimes we need to level up in private to go up a level in public. And so um, instead of Patrick Mahomes in USA Today, I think, you just take your intensity up a level, he said, in preparation for the Super Bowl. Dive deeper into the film study. Dive deeper into the breakdown and the different ways you can go out there and have success. But just to take it to another level is the biggest thing. And none of that taking it to another level goes, starts when the game starts. It's got to take place outside of the cameras outside of the spectators, outside of the crowds. It takes place in preparation. You know, God promises great end-time victory to the church in Revelation. And we read here, to the church in Pergamum, in Revelation 2.17, the one who conquers, to the one who conquers in your family, in your body, in your church, I will give some of the hidden manna. I'd love to tell you what the hidden manna is, but it's hidden. We, we just know it's good because 
uh, the manna that sustained Israel in its journey into the land of promise, if there is a better version of that for the last day's journey into the ultimate promise of the new creation, I want some. How about you? And I will give him a white stone, that, that sense of purity and stability and anointing with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it, that God is going to give to those who conquer such an intimate relationship with him personally, that only they can enter that space. It's not public space. It's not, not group space, but it's something in which they and, and their Lord share eye to eye, and he refers to them by a name that only he shares to them, and we never tell anybody else. And the, the uh, interesting thing about this promise of conquest is that on the hillside temple in Pergamum, was, it was dedicated to Athena uh, Nikephorus, which means the bringer of success. And so there was this worldly image of this is what success is about. Worship this pagan deity, and God is saying to his church in that land, no, worship me and I will make you an overcomer in your time. The same is said to the church of Thyatira at the end there in uh, Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. The battles that we are fighting now is setting up for us eternal authority in the kingdom of God. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and what as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Jesus says that to those who overcome in these last day trying times, he is going to give to us the same authority that he has to break the power of evil, to break the power of cancer, to break the power of division, to break the power of poverty. He's going to grant to those overcomers the very authority that his father had given to him. And I will give him the morning star, the true and genuine wisdom to guide us in our lives. These are great end time promises of victory, but they come to the church in Pergamum and the church in Thyatira with a challenge to be uncompromising. Say uncompromising like you really like that word. He says to the church in Pergamum, who had promised victory, but I have a few things against you. You have some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who, like, who taught Barak, uh, Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. There's a compromising going on in your church. And it's around false teaching that is causing people to eat food sacrificed to idols and to practice immorality. We'll, we'll unpack that in a second. And, and the same to the church at Thyatira, who he promised great victory. He said, but I have this against you. And he compliments them for a number of things that they're doing well. But he says this, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my children, my servants, to practice immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What is God challenging these churches to be uncompromising about? It's this is where we fight our battles. One, holiness in our financial lives. Number two, holiness in our social life and social status, and three, holiness in our sexual lives. When um, these churches are told that they are compromising by eating food sacrificed to idols, there's actually two applications for what that means. The first is actually a financial implication. Uh, you see here in Revelation 2.14, uh, it speaks of a stumbling block so they, they might eat food sacrificed to idols to the Thyre, uh, church in Thyatira in 2.20, seducing my servants to eat food sacrificed to idols. Why is this about holiness in financial life and not simply what you ordered through the drive through Pergamum and Thyatira were towns noted for finance, small business, and 
uh, creative entrepreneurs. There was a uh, industry of purple fabric that Thyatira was uh, famous for. Uh, there was bronze that was cast in that town. There was a big fishing industry that was big in uh, these communities. There were just numbers of different businesses. They were financial centers uh, of that time. And for all who worked in a particular trade, there was a guild. And that's like a tight-knit social club, sort of like a trade union that extended to provide the social network as well for the families and for the faiths of all its different members, many who might not have been local. So uh, I know in the city of Ephesus on the harbor port, there's actually a, a social hall and a guild there for the fishermen who had come from Egypt. And the goddess that was celebrated in that guild was the Egyptian goddess Isis. And these people had been transplanted from all around the world as trades uh, people involved in international shipping and trade do. And so they would land up as immigrants in a different country and they would form around a trade that they all did together and they would then celebrate their culture but also their faith there. And these guilds were incredibly important. It could be economic suicide to not participate in the social events of the guild, which could be at pagan temples or have food sacrificed to pagan deities as part of that celebration, along with excessive drinking and often male and female prostitutes present as part of the after-dinner entertainment for the males, the men that were there. This was part of the social life that built the fabric. And we see this like in other cultures, like in Japan, after uh, work, the, all the businessmen need to go and drink sake together and, and indulge in various pleasures. And it's considered bonding, and you only trust the people you know who you're drinking with. Not advocating that. I'm just saying this is sort of like a cultural thing. Gordon Fee comments in his uh, commentary in Revelation, each of these guilds had their patron deities and the primary social events among the guilds were the festive meals where food was served in a context uh, where it had been sacrificed to the patron deity. Very often these meals became an occasion for sexual immorality to flourish. Christians of that time were faced with this dilemma. You want to grow your business? You want to network with other people? You want to uh, develop a reputation that is going to increase uh, you know, your business connections and increase your profitability? Well, the way to do it was to participate in these pagan festivals, these pagan meals, with those who were in your trade network. But at the same time, to do that often meant participating in sexual immorality. It made, meant oftentimes compromising the, the worship in your heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is calling his church to place their trust in him as the provider where participating in the secular system of influence building Prophet creation would compromise their faith in Christ. Holiness is not only about our sexual lives, the choices, uh, you know, in our behavior. Holiness starts in our wallet. What are we willing to compromise in terms of God's um, directions? in terms of God's call on our life in order to gain the security or the advantages of financial reward. And you say, well, it's really not that big a deal. But here's the thing I want to say to you seriously. I'm not about to take an offering, but I should. If your finances right now, in the relative calm of this era, are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, 
If he is not directing your finances for you, and you are not living under his financial direction, if you're not obedient to his instructions on tithings and your generosity is overflowing in offerings to help people, what makes you think that when the battle really gets real, you are prepared for that? Because if you are already worshiping the beast, what makes you think you won't take his mark? Because the great battlefield of the end times, one of them, and I'll talk about this a lot next week, is the economy. The beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of the beast. And many, I, you know, many confidently say, I would never, ever, Take the mark of the beast. But if you are not preparing with the lordship of Jesus Christ in your financial life before game day, what makes you think that you'll have time once you hit the field and the blitz starts in your life that you would be able to stand that type of pressure? I'll tell you uh, next week probably, this is already happening in China with the digital currency in which there's hardly any paper money and off their phones, they are tracking if people go to church. And if you go to church, you do not have access to certain types of stores. And so here's the heart of the father reaching to his churches in the book of Revelation saying, if you are compromising your faith in order to have finances, you are actually already on the wrong side of one of the great battlegrounds of the end of times, which is how we handle our money and where our faith is in God. Second application of the food for idols. Eating at pagan temples or uh, at meals honoring pagan deities was probably the primary way of celebrating friendship, building social networks, and gaining status in social circles. It's a way people hung out. To not participate in eating food sacrificed to idols could make one seem weird, religious, or a party pooper. Things I've been called, but I never really wanted to be called those things. How about you? Yeah. Let me tell you about my junior high seventh grade year. What are we willing to compromise as believers in order to have social acceptance? What are you willing to let go and not stand up for when the name of Christ or is slandered or his bride that he died for with his blood is made fun of? For Christians to not participate in these celebrations, they risk being outcasts and losing some social standings. But Jesus is saying, I am your family. This is your society that I'm establishing. And don't pay a price far too high to belong to a world that is passing away because you're a part of the world that is coming. Paul said this about meat sacrificed to idols, of participating with others in things that are actually demonically oriented, demonically sourced. Paul writes this, no, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And when you, even in a social setting where it would be awkward to stand apart, when you participate in food sacrificed to demons, you are having communion with the demonic realm. And you might say to me, Pastor David, 
It's been a long time since I had a meal in a pagan temple. Maybe that trip, you know, when I was uh, in, in my uh, away year at college when we were in Peru, you know. How much of our current culture, how much of what makes up the entertainment we share together socially is actually demonically birth? Antichrist in spirit. And pagan at its roots. And when you watch that, when you laugh about it, when we consume it, we are eating the food of demons. Because that very food is furthering the demonic influence in our world. And we can talk about bridge building, I'm all for it. We can talk about Jesus eating with sinners, I'm all for it. But he just never became a sinner himself. And if we want this, God is so desiring to pour out the power of his spirit through a church in a brand new way to reach those that do not know Jesus Christ. And we say we want that revival, but we're, if we are not preparing in private, we're, we're, we're not seen in church. Very few of you misbehave in church. I can name a few names, but... But game day is prepared for in private choices. And the compromises of what we ingest into our spirit, into our soul, just to be socially acceptable or to not feel weird or to not be an outcast, it is weakening us for the last day's battle that brings the great pouring out, the angel that flies over the nations, announcing salvation to the lost. Don't you want to be a part of that team? And so God is saying to us that we cannot eat meat sacrificed to idols. The final thing is holiness in our sexual lives. Um, again, to the church in Pergamum, who had pro he had promised the, uh, the opportunity for victory, put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might practice sexual immorality. Again, to the church at Thyatira, who had been promised victory and authority over the nations for eternity if they conquer. It says that, this I have against you, that there is a prophetic teaching that is seducing my service, servants to practice sexual immorality. Little compromises. This is the picture of the book of Revelation on the battleground over social gatherings and sexual values. The counterpart to the glorious bride of Christ in Revelation is called the great prostitute of Revelation 17. And of her it says this, come and I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk, like partying all night drunk. Purity in our sexual lives. That same sexuality that is so fully celebrated in biblical marriage, but also has the boundary around it for only biblical marriage. When we are making culturally based compromises in our sexual lives, we are actually participating in the influence of the great horror, the great prostitute that is coming to try to mimic what God is doing in the great, glorious bride of Christ. And so it is a very serious thing. This is what I believe is at stake. Sexualized music, media and entertainment, pornography and marriage unfaithfulness is destroying Christian homes and their witness. Do I really need to be convincing about that? And 
sexual immorality, any sex outside of marriage, is the primary fuel for abortion in the USA. And which is, to me, abortion, perhaps the greatest national sin. If only those who were married that were seeking an abortion were having abortions, we would be having a minuscule fraction of abortions compared to the millions of children who are lost every single year. Because abortion has become the new birth control for inconvenient pregnancies, particularly pregnancies that occur outside of a marriage covenant. You're hearing me, family? And God is saying to us, like he says, said to the ch churches in the book of Revelation, I want you to win on game day. The stakes are eternity and the eternal status of souls. But this, you're doing amazing in many ways. And I commend you in that. I bless you in that. But this I have against you, that there are compromises in your life. And it is weakening you in your preparation for the battles to win that are ahead of us. Do you hear my heart, church family? We all struggle in these areas. But may we grab the help of the Holy Spirit. I tell you right now, church scandal after church scandal on financial impropriety, on social compromise, and sexual affairs fills our secular news reports and social media. My heart breaks, it seems weak, after a week, after a week, when yet another megachurch pastor is exposed, when another local leader is shown to have compromised some area of their leadership in Christ, and this is what the world thinks is our witness. And you know what? I don't think it's the devil. I think it is the Lord saying, judgment begins in the house of the Lord, and he is not going to allow financial wrongdoing to not be exposed. He's not going to allow social compromises in our life to go unspoken against, and he's going to call for holiness in our sexual lives because he wants a victorious church to witness to the, uh, the gospel in these last days. Isn't it time for stories of uncompromising integrity and holiness and purity to grab the headlines instead of these scandalous stories? And so let the change begin in me, Jesus. Let the change begin in us, in our church. The good thing to me, the great victory song, is Jesus never only points out what's wrong. He always gives us the solutions. So this is how we fight our battles. We know where we fight them, but this is how we fight our battles. One, the power in the blood. And the second, to develop a martyr's uncompromising heart. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, this great description of Jesus is provided. Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, he has not only forgiven us from our sins, he has freed us from sin having power over us by his blood. There is a path to victory, no matter how long that habit or that brokenness has been a part of our life. And it is the power of the finished work of Jesus through his blood. And that freedom brings us to this and has made us a kingdom, people with authority and priests, people with great intimacy with God. He has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Church family, the first key to overcoming is to live in repentance and grace in our life. Own up to the things in which we are not living in alignment with God and receive grace through his forgiveness for that. We have already been freed from our sins, not just forgiven, freed from the power of sin to be a kingdom of holy priests to our God. You know, when we open up something like um, the uh, support group for addiction that Pastor Mark is starting, it's not to out anybody. It's not to condemn anybody. It's just to say, sometimes we find grace by finding it through each other. And whatever we're battling with, 
Let's get it out of the hidden shame closets of our heart and out into the community where we can help each other because God is raising us up to victory. The other element is a martyr's uncompromising heart. I know I'm, you're prob- you probably like me, is uh, I'm willing to die for Jesus, but I'd rather live for him. <laughs> but have we truly been crucified with Christ? Revelation 12, the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Do you guys know that voice? Always putting you down, always pointing out your past failures, always anticipating your future lack of success. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit, in case you didn't know. That's the devil. But here's the promise. And they, those accused by the accuser, have conquered the accuser by one, the blood of the lamb, we just mentioned that, and number two, the word of their testimony. And that is not only a repetition of the gospel, that is a history of integrity before the Lord. This is just like in the Psalms where David says, my, let my righteousness prevail against my enemies. It's not talking about his righteousness earning salvation, but he's talking about a legacy of choices that he's made in private that gives him overcoming power in the time of battle. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And we say back to that accusing voice, that accusation cannot land on me because what is in the past has been forgiven by the blood of the lamb and I'm building a new future of good choices in that very area. And here's the key to that, is for they love not their lives, even to the death. They have a martyr's heart. God wants you to write your own biography of someone willing to have died for Jesus' sake and for the sake of others knowing the gospel, and for you to live with that submission of your life to him each and every day. And if you do so, you will have conquering, victorious power in your financial integrity, in your social choices, and in your sexual lives. Because you don't love your own life as though it's your own, but your heart belongs to the one who has already died for you. We can't have a victorious church without a battle. Anybody realize that? Like if you say, how many of you, it's too late now to do this well, but how many of you want to be victorious? It's a trick question, obviously, right? But put your hands up anyway, just to support me, you know. Can't have have a, a victory without a battle. I was complaining to the Lord a couple weeks ago, you know, and I was saying, you know, you're supposed to make a way through the wilderness. And he said, I can't make a way unless I give you a wilderness. Like, <laughs> <laughs> We're born for battle. And there's a battle ahead of us, whether or not you want to believe it or not. And God is wanting us to position ourselves for that. But we can't tr- transform a community if we continue to be conformed to this world. So how we prepare our lives in private will have a great impact on whether the church is victorious in the great showdowns between God and evil that unfold through history and is unfolding in the history of our times. I want to call you Garden Church. Let's be uncompromising. Let's choose to be uncompromising and go from victory to victory until Jesus comes. Amen. You know, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is a great morning to pick your team. (laughs) Because he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords, but he expressed himself first as the one who loved us so much that he came and died in our place. And receiving Jesus is as simple as this. We need to take responsibility for the things that we've done wrong. Then we need to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Then we commit our lives to follow him forever and that we then declare, we let other people know, um, first, by being baptized in water in front of your new church family, then just also retelling the story 
that saved your own life. And if you're interested in making that connection with Jesus this morning, please come and talk to one of the pastors or leaders after the church. And if you're online, just talk to the person who, who linked you to us. And uh, the Jesus that they know, will, uh, they'll be able to share with you, and you'll come into eternal life. So church family, um, just stand with me real quick. Then I'm going to have you sit down. But uh, let's just stand and uh, just want you to bow your head. And uh, let's just put our, our hands out to the Lord, if you're comfortable doing that. And... Um, Holy Spirit, come and shut the mouth of the accuser and activate the voice of your spirit right now. Just let grace pervade this room and let that grace come and convict us of where we've compromised. And in those compromises, Lord, we say, no more in my life in Jesus' name. And by the power of your blood, Lord, we want to build a new testimony in our life in that area in Jesus' name. And Father, we give you our whole heart. We, we want a martyr's heart within us to live every day in the freedom that knowing you and serving you brings. Father, bring great freedom right now in the name of Jesus to everyone of us in the areas that we struggle in, Lord, the, the battlefields that are most profound for us. And Father, bring freedom, Lord, in our financial life, in our social life, in social choices, Father, and in our sexual lives. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we look to you. You have freed us from our sins by your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed with that. Amen. You received that grace this morning. Why don't you have a seat and just uh, let me share with you uh, some amazingly good news here at the Garden. So, um, I was 27 years old when I became part of the full-time pastoral staff here at the Garden. I loved Jesus with all my heart. I loved his word. I loved the presence of his spirit. I hungered for the power of his spirit. I loved this church family. Those of you who were back then and younger, I loved you back then. And I have great hope and confidence in the future and destiny of this church family. I turned 62 a couple of weeks ago. I realize now you should get applause for making it this long. Because the last years are harder. But I would tell you with all my heart... I love Jesus more than I ever have in my life. I hunger for the presence of his spirit more than I have ever in my life. I seek him in his word more than I ever have in my life. I yearn for great movements of the spirit more than I ever have in my life. I love this church family more than I ever have in my life. And more than when I was 27, I'm absolute confident, absolutely confident in God's future and destiny as we come into a third generation. When, God, when I turned 60 a couple years ago, God told me to lead the garden with a seven-year vision. I was hoping he was going to say three, you know, so, but I know I will be here in full-time service of this body for at least another five years. But here's the harsh reality. I just ain't going to be senior pastor forever and I'm not getting any younger. So about five years ago, I started a dialogue. I initiated it with our church elders saying, we really need to lean into and pray into who the next senior leader of the garden is going to be. A lot of uh, people who have interceded for me, you know this has been like my number one burden out of three things is the responsibility to pass the legacy of what God has done in this generation to the next, because I think greater things are about to come. And so we began this process in earnest, and I uh, would describe, you know, we talked together, what would be an ideal scenario? After, uh, I will have been in, in ministry here nearly 37 years. I'll have been senior pastor for nearly 30 years. That's a long history. And what would be ideal is if God would identify early uh, a young individual and she or he uh, would uh, be able to overlap with me 
in senior leadership. So there could be a transition over a couple of years in which uh, we were able to uh, pass on the foundation and the gains that we've had and uh, transition into a new leadership. What would be the most difficult transition would be to brick wall, is that I submit my letter of resignation and say, uh, you know, uh, I'm somewhere in Cambria, come and try to find me. And then the church searches for a new senior pastor and that new uh, person, uh, she or he has to come in and just make a brand new start without any transition. Well, I can't tell you how extraordinarily happy I am that God has given us the best case scenario. So um, on June 3rd of this year, I don't know how many of you uh, recall, there was a time of a lot of civil unrest. Uh, social injustices were being brought to the surf surface. Racial tensions were evident. And uh, we called together a, so a prayer walk and solemn assembly. We had hundreds of believers out for prayer in front of City Hall uh, that night. And um, that was June the 3rd. And uh, I was uh, one of the um, people who prayed. Uh, but in the middle of that time, um, the uh, protesters started to push their way into uh, our gathering. And, uh, you know, it started to feel chaotic and stuff like that. And uh, a young pastor in town, Pastor Will Gutierrez, uh, senior pastor of Higher Ground Church, who I had never met before, he took the mic. And there was an incredible authority and honor and calm and he brought peace to the whole situation. I only found out later that he had that credibility. He actually knew those protest leaders by name because he and his team had been out there and you, know, you don't have to agree with the people that you serve. But they'd been bringing bottles of water. They'd been taking time to listen to their stories. And so when he got up to speak, he had credibility both with the Christian community and those that were protesting no matter what element they were for. And it was on that evening that the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, I've given him a portion of the city. Get to know him. So I called uh, him and his wife, Amanda, up and we set up a time, you know, let's get together for lunch uh, within a couple of days. Because, uh, you know, when the Lord speaks, you need to act. And uh, then COVID-19 broke out and all the restaurants were shut. And so we just sort of canceled and it kept flowing on. Well, on uh, September the 13th, Annie Byrne was here and doing a prophetic evening for us. And that night, uh, Pastor Amanda uh, happened to be here, with, uh, brought here by friends. And um, uh, God spoke through Annie Byrne who, and with a prophetic word. And, and Annie said to her, uh, you and your husband will are called to release some divine strategies into the city partnered with Pastor David in the garden. And so I'm on the phone right away saying, we need to have lunch. We need to follow through with this lunch. Well, uh, we met together and Jenna and I have uh, just become friends with them uh, and, uh, uh, you know, just encouraging each other. Pastor Will and I started to meet just senior pastor to senior pastor. We found out we had a lot of things in common. We're, we're both musicians and worshipers trying to fit into the big boy pants of a senior pastor, you know, and so uh, we have all the wrong temperament for this job. You know, we we feel beauty and pain on a scale, you know, scale about this wide. We're very sensitive within, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, and and we have to we have to be, you know, the 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 uh, the mark of stability. It's like inside everything is all confused all the time. I'm a musician, you know, uh, but we found that similarity, but also a hunger for God's presence. And worship is not a performance, but hosting his presence, uh, of respecting his word, of a desire to see the lost uh, saved. And uh, we need true community in the church, and we need some transparency among Christian leaders uh, in our lives. And so we just begin to share together. And as we begin to hang out, uh, one day, uh, Pastor Will gave voice to something that he and Amanda had been talking about, uh, and he said, and we were just about to leave a meeting, and he said, you know, I wonder if we're supposed to partner up with the garden at some point. And to be honest with you, that was a question that I had been hoping they would ask. 
But, you know, Will and Amanda were fully committed to their responsibilities at Higher Ground Church. Uh, it would have been appropriate for me to take that conversation very much further. So, you know, we just sort of talked in generalities, dreamt a little bit about what uh, it might be. You know, uh, could it be like AD and LeBron, you know, joining up together? Um, and, uh, but, you know, uh, it would have been inappropriate to, to actually get into a lot of detail until his situation was clear. Um, we just kept building friendship. But on uh, January 25th, um, Pastor Will received a text from the founding pastor saying that the, the sale of the church property was potentially imminent and literally that he and his staff should meet together and look for a new future. And as soon as he shared that with me, I knew God had given us permission. Uh, we, we began a series of very long and intense meetings uh, with our senior leaders. And on February the 2nd, I think this is last Tuesday, uh, the elders of the garden invited Pastor Will to become co-senior leader with me uh, here at the Garden Church. So uh, for uh, the plan is that for about two years, uh, we'll share co-leadership uh, and then... Um, uh, he'll continue on as a sole senior leader. I'd love to drop back and be uh, in a supportive role to him, maybe as a teaching pastor. Uh, but I'm so excited that God has brought this incredible um, family, uh, Will and Amanda and their, and their boys, to lead us in the third generation of this church. Not only that, is they're bringing the entire Freedom Sound Church with them. They're at least a couple hundred strong. And so, you know, some of us have been praying for church growth, but we thought it'd be like one at a time where I could get to know people's names. Uh, this is not going to be quite be that way, but God's grace is on it. Pastor Will and Pastor Amanda, uh, they are both pastor's kids. They're not romantics getting into what they think is a glorious, wonderful life. They know that they're coming to serve Jesus and his people. Uh, they've been in full-time ministry for over a decade. Uh, Pastor Will uh, actually traveled for about three years as a Christian hip-hop artist and evangelist. You know, so we have lots of similarities, you know, in how we spit and stuff like that. Um, he served on a number of church uh, staffs. Uh, he's led youth groups in those churches to explosive growth, touch hundreds of kids for Christ. And then he and Amanda uh, have been senior pastors for the last four years, and so they bring that experience in. You can see this picture here in the center. Pastor Will's number one love is one-on-one -on -one out in the streets talking to people who need Jesus and Jesus' love. And we've been praying for a release of evangelism, right? here at the garden. Um, Pastor Amanda, she's all about worship. Uh, she's a mom of four. She's also a successful business entrepreneur uh, here in town. Uh, and we're just blessed with this couple. I have seen their integrity under the worst type of conditions. I know the history of hard choices. I know the money they've walked away from in order to sacrifice and do what they believe God was calling their lives to be. And I am just overjoyed that God has blessed us with them, and he's blessing them with you. And uh, look forward to what will happen on March the 14th is when our churches uh, will come together. Uh, before that time, we'll be working together. Uh, uh, we know that as excited and wonderful as this news may, may be, uh, when it actually works down to the personal level, there's gonna be moments of fear, insecurity, where do I fit? Uh, who are these people in my room, you know, um, and uh, there'll be a lot of adjustments. We're working together first to communicate well, and then uh, if you're in a ministry, uh, soon uh, team leaders in those areas will be gathering those from both churches together with a strategy and then how do, God wants to repackage what has been done in two separate churches and bring it together in a more powerful way. But I am I don't know if you can tell, I'm really, really happy. Uh, I'm not simply relieved. I am just so happy because his faithfulness is good to us. And he knew all the time that he was preparing lives to meet. And at that moment, we would join together 
and bring both our histories and our strengths into an already shared vision for the future, and God is going to see his kingdom come for another generation here in Bakersfield. I look forward to an even more connected church family of love. I look forward to hundreds of lives being saved. I look forward to a new sound in worship being released in downtown Bakersfield. And I'm looking forward with you uh, to the days ahead. Turns out that we had already scheduled, he was just my friend, Pastor Will is coming to speak, and Pastor Amanda was going to be part of our worship two Sundays from now. So um, we're just going to continue on with that. There'll be guest speakers still from Freedom Sound, knowing that you know we're about three inches away from the altar on March 14th. Uh, and I uh, encourage you to come hang out with them. They're doing worship nights uh, here on Wednesday nights. Uh, and uh, it's a cool thing. We'll be getting more information out. You also will uh, have already received an email uh, in your inbox a few minutes ago. It has sort of what I said in written form in case um, it's like, what? Uh, you can go back and examine. It also has a link to a video uh, that you can uh, see now, but it'll be posted later on social media tonight. So I'm in joy and I'm at peace, and I hope that spreads to you. Are, you. are you thankful for what God has done for our church family? Uh, Pastor Will and Amanda are making this announcement simultaneously to the people they've gathered in the parking lot of the boulevard uh, uh, this morning as uh, their place of worship, since they don't have a, a facility to worship in uh, right now. And so uh, we're just celebrating good news together. Amen? Could you stand? So Jesus, we just say, you had it all the time. And for everything in our life, Lord, which we just wish you would make clear your plans, we just say, Lord, you have it. You had it all the time. And may your goodness intercept us and surprise us again and again. Father, I pray for grace upon this process in the name of Jesus. As there has been grace saturating every meeting that's made this decision, may that grace saturate every meeting, Lord, as these two families become one. And Father, we look forward to what is ahead. Father, our hearts are open to communicate, to process, to listen. We understand, Lord, the change. But in the end, our eyes are on you, Lord, and we are thankful for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Garden family.